A long time ago, in a land far, far away, there lived a young man named David. Now, to be more specific, this happened about 3,000 years ago, about the year 1005, 1008, somewhere right around in there. And the land far, far away was uh, the desert of southern Israel in a place called En Gedi in the desert there in Israel, which is now a national park in Israel and a really nice place to, to go for a hike, which I did when I was there. Um, but anyway, a long time ago, in a land far away, there lived a young man named David, and he was one of the great heroes of the Bible. Uh, the Bible says, God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. So these stories about David we're going to look at this morning are from uh, the book of 1 Samuel. So you can uh, read up on them later after I, after I tell them to you. So anyway, David, he was a mighty warrior. You guys all know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, that was uh, one of the, his most famous battles when he was just an adolescent, too young to go off to war with his brothers, and he killed Goliath. But later, he also fought many, many other battles as a soldier and as a leader of armies. But this story is about a time when David could see that the godly course of action was not to fight, not to take action, but to exercise patience. Now, before David killed Goliath, he was a shepherd helping take care of his father's sheep. And after Goliath, he became a soldier in the service of King Saul. Saul uh, was started out as a very good king. He was, in fact, chosen by God to be the first king of God's chosen people of Israel. But before long, Saul uh, disobeyed God's instructions. And through the prophet Samuel, God told Saul that the kingdom would be taken away from him and given to someone else who would obey. And as you can imagine, this prophecy made Saul a little bit uh, insecure, a little bit paranoid. And, uh, and meanwhile, David is serving Saul loyally and was very successful as a servant of the king. But Saul was like a lot of insecure leaders. And when one of the people who worked for him was being very successful and getting some recognition and becoming well-known, uh, Saul was jealous and saw it as a threat. When David started to become a popular leader, Saul correctly guessed that God was with David and this was the man that God had chosen to replace him as king. And David also knew that because he had already been anointed in a private ceremony by the prophet Samuel to be the next king. But as I mentioned, Saul was not just one to submit to God's will. So he tried to kill David. But David was not scheming to steal the throne. He acknowledged that God had given the throne to Saul, but he also knew that God had chosen him to be the next king. But he was waiting for God's timing and serving Saul in the meantime. And when Saul attempted to kill him, David was forced to leave his home, leave his new wife, and leave his family, and flee and live out in the desert in a life of hiding. A few hundred uh, loyal men gathered around David in the desert, and he led this group of outlaws in hiding, kind of like Robin Hood, 
except that they were in the desert instead of the forest. But they did have a guy that played the harp and sang. But anyway, uh, it's while David is hiding out in the desert with his band of men that uh, they are evading King Saul hiding there that this story takes place. So this story starts when some people told the king, hey, we saw David, he's hiding out down by En Gedi. And so Saul comes after him with an army of 3,000 men. And as they are searching for David, Saul sees a nice little cave off to the side of their path there. And, you know, it's just not really proper for the king to kind of squat out in the open like a commoner. So Saul sees this as an opportunity to uh, go into the cave and have a little privacy while he takes care of certain uh, things that he needs to do there. And so uh, what he doesn't know is that David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave. So Saul goes to this cave, goes just a little ways in, starts taking care of his, uh, his business there in the cave, and meanwhile, David and his men can hardly believe it. They're saying, look at this. God is clearly on our side. Look at this. Here is our chance to kill the man who's trying to kill us. He has no idea we're even here. It's going to be so easy. God has given us this chance to take revenge and solve our problem by killing this guy. Now, as I already mentioned... David is a warrior. He has no problem with killing people. In fact, after he killed Goliath, he chopped off his head and took it back to Jerusalem as a souvenir. Um, and there's another story in, uh, in 1 Samuel 18. You'll have to look this one up for yourself because I'm not going to tell the whole story here. But David fought a battle against the Philistines and brought back 200 souvenirs from that battle off of the... Uh, but he's left, uh, it wasn't, he didn't cut off their heads this time. You'll have to look it up to see what it was that he brought back. But um, anyway, the point is, David is a violent man. He is a warrior. He kills people when he feels like it's the right thing to do. Do you think that this opportunity to take out Saul was tempting? Do you think that the argument that he was hearing from his friends that God had clearly provided this opportunity, carried any weight? Surely it was not a coincidence that Saul had gone into the very cave where David and his men were hiding. And David knew that God had chosen him to be the next king after Saul. And he knew that Saul was doing his best to thwart the will of God. And now it really looks like God is giving David the chance to make it all happen. He can take out his enemy and clear the path to his own kingship. So, David sneaks up behind Saul, takes out a sharp dagger, and cuts off his head. No, he doesn't cut off his head. He cuts off the corner of his robe, and then he sneaks back to where his friends are, back in the back of the cave. Now, David's friends are a little bit surprised that he didn't, uh, didn't do it. Like, what are you doing? If you don't want to kill him, we'll kill him for you. No problem. But here's what the Bible says. It says in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, it says, He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. 
And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So David is not willing to take vengeance on Saul, even when it looks like God has given him the chance to do so. In fact, David very much believes that what just happened was not a coincidence, that God had orchestrated that situation and brought it about. After Saul's a little way away, it says that David comes out of the cave and calls after him, and he says, uh, My lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground, and he said to Saul, Why do you listen to when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. And then David says something that explains why he wouldn't kill Saul. He says in verse 12 here, May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And here's where we find the connection between these stories and our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, this week we're talking about the fruit of patience. And what David is doing here is demonstrating and explaining one of the most important aspects of godly patience. Godly patience is refraining from seeking revenge ourselves and instead leaving it to God. Godly patience is refraining from seeking revenge ourselves and instead leaving it to God. Now, that's easy when we're powerless to do anything about it, right? But what about when we have the power? Well, that's when uh, the person who is walking in step with the Spirit and is led by the Spirit and has the fruit of the Spirit in their lives will say, May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. This principle is put into a biblical proverb. In the Proverbs, it puts it like this. It says, do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will avenge you. And then in the, in the book of Romans, the Bible puts the same principle and says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. David lived that. He didn't simply sit there and take abuse from Saul, though, right? When Saul tried to kill David, he escaped. And he got away and, uh, and escaped from the person who was seeking to do him wrong. And then when the time was right, David confronted Saul about it. Uh, however, he did not and would not take revenge or seek to harm 
the one who had harmed him. Now, of course, the reason we're talking about this story is so that we can apply it to our own lives, right? Uh, but there's a couple of things that make that kind of hard. First, the situation is a little bit out of our normal, uh, ex- uh, normal experience, right? Uh, not many of us have jealous kings who are trying to murder us. Um, but I think that that actually makes the king a little bit, uh, or, sorry, makes the story a bit more powerful and easier for us to apply, or it should, because if David could exercise patience, even in this extreme situation, uh, for God, and he could say, for God to judge, even when it was such a life, uh, life-threatening thing, how much more can we do so in the difficulties of our own lives? So, for instance, maybe your husband keeps leaving the toilet seat up. Well, you can feel free to quote David, and you can say, May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me. But it is not for you to look for opportunities to take revenge and get back at him somehow, like maybe by leaving your coffee cup in the cup holder in his car, so that every time he gets in the car the next day, then there's nowhere for him to put the coffee because there's already all these old cups sitting in the cup. You can't do that. You're not allowed to take revenge in those ways. So... So maybe your situation falls somewhere between the, the coffee cups and the toilet seat or, or a jealous king trying to kill you. Um, maybe your temptation isn't exactly to kill the person who's causing you problems. That was what David was tempted to kill him. This kind of patient trust that God will deal with the one who has done you wrong, it applies to all kinds of wrongs of all shapes and sizes. And it is a violation of patience when we get back at them in small ways, just like it would be uh, if we were to kill them with a dagger in a cave while they're relieving themselves. Um, Godly patience says that we must wait for God to bring about justice. But that can be hard, can't it? Because every time we try to get back at someone for what they did to us, we are saying we don't believe that God will actually bring about justice in that situation. But David believed it. There was another incident uh, sometime later when, again, God gave David a chance to kill Saul. This time Saul was asleep, and David and his friend Abishai were standing over him with a spear in their hands. And Abishai says to David, let me kill him. I won't have to strike twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. When and how God would bring justice and deliver David from Saul, he didn't know. But he did know that God would take care of his problem, and he would not lay a hand on Saul, despite the fact that twice now God had given him the opportunity to do so. And if you know the story, you know that's exactly what happened. Saul died in in battle, not too long after this, 
and David became the king. And, uh, and this is a big part of the kind of patience that is a fruit of the Spirit. Trusting God to bring justice on the people who harm us in big ways and in small ways. But there is another problem with applying this story to our own lives. And that is that David said several times that he, the reason he wouldn't kill Saul was because Saul was the Lord's anointed. That is, he was the chosen king of the people of God. The person who is causing problems in your life is probably not God's chosen king of his people. So already uh, we, we mentioned that David had no problem with killing Philistines and various other enemies. Um, so are you asking me, James, isn't the situation with Saul a special circumstance so that this example doesn't really apply to us, it's only for, for Saul? And I'm glad you asked me that question. The answer is no. It's not a special circumstance because although David himself almost forgot in the next story here that we're going to look at. And the next story uh, takes place very shortly after the, the incident in the cave. In fact, it's the next chapter in 1 Samuel. Um, David and his men are living out in the desert, but of course they aren't the only ones out there. There's other various people also living out in the desert, and some of them are uh, shepherds. Um, the sparse desert was grazing land for herds of sheep and goats. But because it's, it's a very sparse desert-like uh, place, the, the, the animals had to go pretty far and wide in order to find enough to eat. And because um, they had to, to go so far, uh, it made them vulnerable to theft uh, by bad people or attack from wild animals. So it was common, it was normal to lose a few sheep and goats uh, every year to these, uh, these dangers of the, the desert. But David, as a righteous man, decided uh, what he would do was not to steal any of the animals for himself. Instead, he would protect the local herds from danger. And so while they were living out in the desert and these, these flocks of uh, sheep and goats are there, for months he and his men protected the shepherds and their herds out in the desert. And then when it came time for shearing the sheep, and they would also slaughter some and, and, and have some uh, feasting and things at that time of year, uh, David sent messengers to one particularly wealthy man whose, uh, whose flocks had been out there in the desert and asked him for some compensation for the protection that he had provided. And uh, so the man heard uh, their polite request and sent back insults in return. And David's response, he said, guys, get your swords. We're going. Meanwhile, the rich man had no idea what was coming, so he throws a party to celebrate a great harvest. But some of the shepherds went and told his wife, her name was Abigail, and told them what had happened. They, said, they told her how David and his men had been good to them all that time out of the desert, and how her husband had insulted them when they came to him. Now, Abigail was a little bit smarter than her husband, and she saw a little more clearly what the situation was here. So she put together some food to grant the original request that David had made for payment and then went herself to meet David before he could get there. And she meets him as he is coming with 400 armed men on his way. And the Bible says this, it says, David had just said, 
It's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. But when he meets Abigail on the way to do this, she uses reason, theology, a little flattery, and I think a little uh, feminine charm to talk him out of it. Part of her speech goes like this. She said, When the Lord has fulfilled to my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And so David knew that a woman who is both wise and beautiful and knows her theology is one who should be listened to. And so it says, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. See, this time, uh, David didn't have to wait very long for God to bring justice. Uh, The Bible says, About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, that was Abigail's husband, Uh, And he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And of course, uh, that also meant that Abigail was single now. She'd made quite an impression on David, so shortly after this he married her. But that's not really part of our story for this morning. But anyway, um, what does this story add to our understanding of patience? Well, first of all, it removes any excuse of saying uh, uh, that uh, maybe it was uh, just because Saul was the Lord's anointed that David couldn't kill him. No, Nabal uh, was not in any kind of a special situation. But it is clear that it still would have been wrong for David to have taken vengeance on him. Uh, Maybe another thing we see also is that David is not a perfect saint who never does anything wrong and never has any bad ideas. He is a guy that we can relate to. He was a normal person who also lost his temper and was about to do something pretty drastic here. Also, we can see that sometimes we need each other to do what is right. Um, Now, David got advice in the first story too, right? His friends gave him some really bad advice. You need to go kill Saul. Uh, But this time he got good advice and he listened. And we need to listen to others who God might be using to speak to us. We need to weigh that advice and see if it fits the teaching of the Bible. But God most definitely uses other people to help us to know and follow his ways. And of course we see that again, David trusted God that God would see justice done. Um, And David was able to suffer injury from Saul and Nabal without seeking to get back at them because he trusted God. Now, one of the things that makes this difficult is that God does not always bring about justice in what we consider to be a timely manner, 
And sometimes what God considers justice is not what we would consider justice. Now, that was Jonah's problem, right? You guys know the story of Jonah. Not the part with the whale, but the other part where the reason why Jonah uh, was out there fleeing from God was that he did not want to go to Nineveh and warn them about God's judgment. Why not? Well, because he was afraid that they would listen to him. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was a conquering empire that had done much evil in the world. And Jonah was wanting God to judge the Ninevites. But God chooses mercy. And Jonah is not happy. He is not trusting God to get it right. Jonah thinks that he knows what is right, and God has made a mistake. God is too soft. God needs to toughen up and bring vengeance that these people deserve for all the evil that they've done. And the story actually ends with Jonah mad at God for not wiping them, up, or wiping them out. So we need to trust God's justice, even when it isn't what we think it should be. Sometimes the thing that makes this hard is God's patience. We've said that patience is waiting for God to bring about justice uh, and, and in our situation and seeking, instead of seeking to bring it about ourselves. But what about God himself? Is God patient? Well, clearly he doesn't need to wait for himself to act. So there is a sense in which our patience is different from God's patience. For us, it's waiting on him, but he doesn't wait on himself. But God's patience is at the core of his being. When God met Moses on Mount Sinai, this is how he defined himself to Moses. It says in Exodus, it says, The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God doesn't use the word patience here, but this is a description of the patience of God. Compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger. Toward who? Toward stupid, sinful people who rebel against him. People like me and like you. Who want to do things our own way rather than following God's way. He looks at sinful people with compassion and grace, and he is slow to anger. Now, sometimes we, we get this wrong. We don't really understand about God. We think that God is just waiting for us to mess up so he can punish us for our sins. But the reality is that God sees our sins continually and is very slow to anger. He maintains love to thousands and forgives our wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Psalm 103 has a beautiful poetic description of these truths. It says there, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, 
abounding in love, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. As a father, and I know that sometimes our, our human fathers fail to live up to this, but generally, as a father has compassion on his children. A father loves his children. He understands that they are children. And he expects them to sometimes spill the milk or put a dent in the car or say something mean to their dad. God knows that we are weak and he is patient with us. God, as the perfect father, is slow to get angry and quick to forgive. He has compassion on us, his children. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. When the Holy Spirit is active in our lives and we are keeping in step with the Spirit, this is the kind of attitude that we will come to have toward those around us. This is the fruit that God will produce in us. We will become tolerant with the failings of others. We will become slow to anger and forgiving of faults. Forgiveness and patience are very closely related. For when we trust that God will bring about justice, it leaves us free to forgive. We can forgive people and leave it to God to do what's, what's right. God will either punish their sins in ways that we ourselves are not even capable or, or, or powerful enough to do anyway, or he will declare that Jesus' payment has covered that sin. So when we walk in the Spirit and he causes his fruit to grow in our lives, we will find that we are able to be patient in all kinds of circumstances, trusting that God will bring about justice toward those who have done us wrong. So what is the circumstance that you need to have patience for right now in your life? Who is it that you need to have patience toward? Ask the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of patience in that specific situation for that person right now. I want to take a few moments of silence so that we can think about that and, and ask the Holy Spirit for that. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are just and will bring about full and complete justice, that your love for us is, is strong, and that you are a forgiving God, but that you do not leave the guilty unpunished. 
Lord, we pray that we would learn to trust in your justice and in your dealing with all the situations in our lives, big and small, so that we can have peace and patience in them. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. 